Welcome to the INS Infusion Room, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. The Infusion Nurses Society is recognized as the global authority in infusion therapy and is devoted to setting the standard for infusion care. I'm Dawn Berendt, your podcast host and the Clinical Education and Publications Manager for INS. Hello and welcome to this episode of INS Infusion Room. Today I have with me Mary McGoldrick. Mary, welcome. Thank you. And Mary, I'm going to put you on the spot first thing. I need you to tell us all about yourself. Don't leave anything out. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, um, I started my career over, uh, gosh, 40 years ago as a home health aide. And I have stayed um, the entire time in the uh, home care career and actually started home infusion back in the early 80s in the Chicago area. I was a staff nurse Mm -hmm. covering from Northwest Indiana up to Wisconsin, way out to the Western suburbs, providing infusion therapy. And that's back in the day when most of the patients were managed with peripherals. So anyway, I've had a long um, career in uh, home care. I've worked in a myriad of positions, um, you know, everything from being a hospice aide, you know, home health aide, hospice volunteer to um, national director of clinical services. But what I've been doing the last, um, say, 30 years is I've been doing consulting work related to infection prevention and control and also helping organizations prepare for accreditation surveys. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. So, Mary, you, you've had a very rich background in everything that you just said, but I want you to tell about your INS work as well. Well, um, I actually remember going to my first meeting, the National uh, Infusion Therapy Association meeting, NIDA, back in the late 80s in uh, Chicago, just as a staff nurse. And, and who knew that over the years I'd end up doing, you know, extensive amounts of writing and work for, uh, it, you know, INS related mm-hmm. to helping write chapters in infection prevention and control in uh, the textbook, the core curriculum. Mm -hmm. Um, It was one of the chapters for the INS uh, Standards of Practice in 2016, spoken at many of the annual meetings over the years, and just a long-term INS member. We thank you so much for all of your contribution. We still are selling that great big textbook with your chapter in it. Thank you so much for the groundwork that you've done at INS and your participation over the years and your contribution to all people who do infusion therapy. So I'm going to ask you a few questions, and I want to see where your answers take us. My first question, I'm going to ask you, what is the biggest challenge in infection prevention in home care during the pandemic? So since the pandemic began, one of the changes that was very different for home care is that typically we would always just implement standard precautions for our patients. And with going to see COVID positive, suspected, pending test results kinds of patients, we, you know, we'd have to be putting on N95s, you Mm. know, gown, gloves, you know, 
goggles or face shield. And we never had to do that before in home care. So getting back, I don't want to say to the basics, but, you know, getting back to, you know, the proper steps for donning and doffing PPE and making sure that we don't self-contaminate ourselves when we're removing the PPE, that was just very different. So that was a matter of, you know, going back through and making sure that the staff were properly trained and competent and observed Mm -hmm. them and um, just making sure that they were doing a good job with that. Because again, it's not something that was natural for the home care nurses to have to implement. Definitely new since COVID though. Right, right. So how did your clinicians do? I mean, I know it was a challenge, you know, to change practice and to bring all this garb along and you know, and their patients certainly were seeing something far different in their home uh, when the clinicians came in. So how did that go? How did it work with their their relationship with the patients and having the all these barriers now sure. that they didn't have before? Well, one of the things that was unique is that the staff really needed to be wearing their PPE upon entering the door. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that the nurses would have to do is don their PPE either, you know, at the trunk of their if their vehicle or, you know, right. outside. I mean, depending upon if it was an apartment building or whatever, it was a single family home, whatever. So that was certainly very different in trying to make sure that they were properly donning their PPE prior to going into the home. So, but I think that having this, this staff wear all of the PPE provided the patients with an extra level of comfort because one of the things that did happen in home care was a lot of patients, you know, refused services if they could. They did not want to have anybody else coming into their home. And so, right. you know, it gave them a self, a sense of, you know, feeling safe, if you mm-hmm. will, that this person that's coming in to care for me into my home is taking all of the proper precautions. And, mm-hmm. and so that was, um, I think that was a good thing, you know, for the yeah. patients to, have, to feel that yeah. sense of safety when they were sort of vulnerable. So I would like to talk about the schedule or the order in which a clinician sees patients throughout the day in home care. So who do we put at the top of the list? Who do we want them to walk in on first before they see anyone else? Well, you know, it's interesting. The scheduling is primarily done by geography. Unless somebody has like a timed blood draw or some type of event that has to occur at a certain time, Mm -hmm. you know, a chemo takedown or something like that, the visits are generally scheduled in a random basis based on geography and what is most um, mileage limiting, if you will, for right. the staff from a driving perspective. So, mm-hmm. so that's how it's primarily scheduled. Unless someone has, say, a, a potentially communicable illness, okay. they may schedule those patients at the end of the day. For example, with uh, COVID, many of those patients were scheduled as the last visit of the day. Sure. So that the nurses would... You know, I mean, they were taking all the proper precautions and everything Mm -hmm. else, but they just felt more comfortable seeing that patient at the end of the day. And then they'd go home, maybe, you know, change their clothes, shower, whatever the case might be. But they they might schedule those for the end of the day. But other than that, it was just, it's still general scheduling. And, um, you know, if you're seeing multiple COVID patients, well, then again, Mm -hmm. they just might be moved towards the end of the day. 
Okay. And is there ever a time where we have immunocompromised patients that we want to see first before we've been in other environments? Or does that happen as well? Yeah. Going to see the, you know, the patients who are immunocompromised or suppressed, the nurses would be wearing the, you know, appropriate PPE that was based on, you know, whatever they would need and, you know, washing their hands and, and doing all the right things, mm-hmm. that they would do that for their patients regardless of whether or not there was a pandemic occurring mm-hmm. or not, mm-hmm. that the nurses, do, you know, overall, I think, do a really nice job in doing everything that they can to keep our patients safe. So practicing with standard precautions and really following that protocol is enough. Absolutely. And then during this time of the pandemic, of course, wearing, you know, a face mask for source control is very important. And it's also very important that it's not just wearing a face mask, but it's wearing a face mask that fits the nurse well. Mm -hmm. Um, So when the nurses are out making home visits, they are going to be wearing face masks for uh, source control to to keep any of the, you know, to keep all the patients safe. But in addition to that, the nurses would also be wearing eye protection mm-hmm. in the event that they are caring for a patient who's COVID positive or suspected or pending test sure. results. But one of the areas that staff are not always aware of that if they are caring for a patient that resides in a county where there is moderate to high transmission of COVID-19, that they also need to be wearing eye protection when they are face-to-face with the patient in the home and providing care. And I can just tell you from doing this myself and, you know, perhaps wearing a respirator, you know, underneath a face shield and you're in someone's house and it's hot and there's no air conditioning, um, it, you know, it can definitely present with some challenges in making the home visit. And because of that, one of the challenges that the, the nurses do have, especially if they wear eyeglasses, they'll typically wear a face shield over their respirator or face mask for mm. uh, protection. Especially if the respirator and the, the face mask is not well fitting, they'll start to fog up underneath that and... That many times causes challenges for the staff in the home when they are, you know, trying to render care and their their vision is impaired. So they try alternative things to, you know, anti-fog wipes and, you know, sometimes those don't work for people. So it's just a matter of trying different, perhaps, face masks, you know, but sometimes the, the material through the face mask, I have found just that our breath will pass through the face mask and can contribute to fogging. Mm-hmm. But if someone's wearing a respirator, they shouldn't, if they've passed they their fit the test fogging. and everything, yeah. they shouldn't have fogging. If they've done a good job, you know, making sure that the nose clamp is, is pinched well and, um, mm-hmm. you know, they've done their user seal check after they uh, put that on, they, they, hopefully that won't be a problem for them. Yeah, yeah, okay. Mary, what would your recommendations be for infection prevention from the clinician standpoint in the home care setting? You know, th- that's a, a great question. And I, I guess maybe my, my viewpoint is a little bit slanted from the kind of work that I do because what I do is help organizations prepare for, you know, accreditation survey. So I go out, I make home visits with the staff, I observe them, render care, I interview them, talk with them about perhaps, you know, their knowledge on certain subjects, whatever. And one of the things that I have found not only 
during the course of the pandemic, but previously also, was that the staff don't always get all of the education that they need to, so that when I am out with the staff and I perhaps identify a breach in infection control practices or something like that, it's not that people were intentionally doing things wrong or trying mm-hmm. to cut a corner or anything like that, but it's just lack of knowledge. They, they've not been educated about some of these kinds of things. And I think that that's just a very important Um, takeaway through all of this is the importance of staff education. Of course. It is so important Mm -hmm. that everyone have the proper amount of education, that we are confident and competent in everything that we do. And infection control is at the top of our list. Uh, At INS, that is our primary focus. And then we move on from there. And then we get to the point where we're able to do therapy and and the other good things that we're doing. But we want to make everyone safe on the front end. And another challenge with that, too, is that, you know, with the constant changes that were coming out by the CDC and recommendations, if management wasn't keeping up with those updates that were coming out from the CDC or perhaps from their State Department of Health, that information may not have been funneled down to the staff level. And so they may not have been aware of some of the changes that they needed to make in the type of PPE that they were wearing. Um, You know, so again, it's, it's just an ongoing change challenge because the staff are being asked to do so many things. I mean, being a home care nurse is not an easy job. Oh, no. It's it's very hard. Right. Um, Right. And, you know, there's a lot of challenges. And another one of the challenges that, that home care organizations are having right now is staffing. They don't have enough nurses right now to go out and care for these patients. You know, getting the business and getting the referrals is not a problem. They don't have enough nurses to care for them. So the nurses are being asked to carry very heavy caseloads, you know, sort of like the maximum number of patients that they would normally see. And they're just doing the best that they can to keep up with everything and do the absolute best job that they can, given the amount of staff and resources and time that they have to work within. So, you know, I I sincerely hope that gets better for them because it's very hard right now. It is. Mary, I always like to give the opportunity for every clinician that I interview to, to tell us why they've chosen the field that they're in, to talk about their passion, the thing that drives them when they get up in the morning. And I want to give you that opportunity as well. Well, well, thank you. Um, Well, you know, I started in home care when I was working as a home health aide when I was going to nursing school. So that was really my first introduction to home care. And I did that, you know, for several years while I was, you know, going to nursing school. And so that was really what led me to just really enjoy making a difference on a case-by-case, patient-by-patient basis. And so... You know, it was, I don't know, it was just something, I, but I'm all, I've always been like an independent person too. And so I loved being independent and making my own schedule. And you know, that's probably why I've been self-employed, you know, <laughs> over 30 years now. I just like that independence. And, and even with my work that I do, I do, I travel all over the United States and I conduct these mock surveys for organizations. And I can assure you, it's not a glamorous job traveling. It's grueling. You know, it's very long hours, but you know what? At the end of the day, I know that my work, I believe it makes a difference for people. And, you know, that 
maybe even it's just giving recommendations for an individual patient's care or additional education that staff need, or even just more resources that a home care uh, program needs to operate um, and provide the best care that it Mm -hmm. can. Because many times when you go in as a consultant, I may be telling them the exact same thing that the director has been telling them, but for some reason they act like, oh, they've they've heard it for the first time. And they actually make changes. And it, it truly does make a difference. So... It absolutely does. I am sure that you've seen a lot of changes in the in the past 30 years. Oh. <laughs> Can you tell me about oh, a few? Okay. okay, I don't know if I should. So some of the changes that I've seen back from when I started in home infusion as a staff nurse back in the early 80s, this was before the OSHA bloodborne pathogen standards were out. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, the oh, I don't even know that I'd want to admit some of the things that we used to do about, you know, just going to a hospital and picking up some blood and just taking it to someone's home and transfusing it. Probably wasn't properly stored at the time. Oh, my, sure. Just, you know, there were no um, safety needles out at the time. I mean, it was just, it was really just, it was very much a different day. I don't even think I want to admit some of the things that we used to do. But I mean, all in the interest of, you know, best patient care and everything, we just didn't have the systems and processes in place for managing medical waste. And again, we, you know, it was pretty much extensively peripherals and they were all rotated Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you know, and, um, you know, what do you do with the medical waste? And it was just an interesting time back then, but home care has progressed significantly since that time and it continues to evolve. Um, actually, one of the things that I did for APIC, which is the Association for Professionals in Infection Control and Epidemiology, um, I co-authored two books for them, uh, Tricky mm-hmm. Name, Infection Control and Home Care and Hospice. Yes. And so one of the challenges in writing um, those two publications is taking the CDC guidelines that were originally primarily crafted for the acute care setting mm-hmm. and taking all of those standards that the CDC had in place at the time and, and, and I would be writing and adapting them for practice in the home and then writing this publication and then they were implemented by home infusion, home health hospice organizations out in the field. So it's been a matter of taking many of these practices that were primarily acute care based and modifying them for home care. And and it's worked, but we continue to evolve. So absolutely. Any closing thoughts for us, Mary? As far as closing thoughts, I think that the pandemic with COVID-19 has taught us about the importance of infection prevention and control. Just, you know, taking us back to the basics of even just hand hygiene, you know, how looking at how we properly clean and disinfect our equipment and supplies and just making us all more mindful and aware of how organisms can infect us and how we have to be so careful, whether it be even in our private life or a course in our um, professional um, activities when we're mm-hmm. out, you know, seeing patients. So I think it's, you know, it's definitely brought the field of infection control and epidemiology first and foremost to the front lines, you know, people just sort of took it for granted. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll wash our hands and all that kind of stuff. But now I think people really appreciate that. Thank you, Mary, so much for being with us here on INS Infusion Room. It has been a pleasure visiting with you, and I look forward to talking with you again. Thank you, Dawn. 
This concludes this episode of INS Infusion Room, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. We welcome your comments. You can reach us at infusionroom at ins1.org. That's infusionroom at ins1.org. Thank you for listening.